We turn in God's holy and infallible word to Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, and we read verses 13 through 31. Jesus gives instruction in this passage on covetousness and how we are to beware of covetousness. And we read this in connection with Lord's Day 44 of the Catechism. Luke 12, beginning at verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body, what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies how they grow. They toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not what and seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. It's on the basis of this passage of Scripture, on the basis of many passages that we have the teaching of Lord's Day 44 of the Catechism, found on page 24 in the back of the Psalter. Lord's Day Day 44, found on page 24. 
What doth the tenth commandment require of us? That even the smallest inclination or thought, contrary to any of God's commandments, never rise in our hearts. But that at all times we hate all sin with our whole heart and delight in all righteousness. But can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? No. But even the holiest men, while in this life, have only a small beginning of this obedience. Yet so, that with a sincere resolution they begin to live, not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. Why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached, since no man in this life can keep them? First, that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature, and thus become the more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ. Likewise, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God, till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in Psalm 119, verse 96, the psalmist writes, Thy commandment is exceeding broad. And as we've gone through the commandments so far, I hope we've seen the truth of that statement. God's commandments are exceeding broad. The Ten Commandments are exceeding broad in this sense. First, that they are an inexhaustible source of wisdom and guidance. They are exceeding broad. Because for every situation in life and at any stage in a person's life, God's will, God's word is good and helpful and leads in the way of joy and happiness. But the Ten Commandments are also exceeding broad in this sense. Second, that not one area of our lives is free from the demands of these commandments. With everything you have, God says in His law, whether it is your time, whether it is your money, your intellect, your abilities, Use it to love me. I have redeemed you through the blood of my Son, Jesus Christ. I am your maker, and this is your reasonable service. And I hope that as we've gone through these commandments, we've seen that. Each individual commandment is exceedingly broad and deep. Well, if that were not clear already... This 10th commandment that we come to this morning makes it perfectly clear. Because as you go through the first nine commandments, on their surface, if we wanted to treat them superficially, we would say that on the surface, they have to do with mere outward, external actions and behavior. Thou shalt not take God's name in vain. Okay. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. All these on the surface of things are mere external requirements. But when you come to the 10th commandment, the 10th commandment now 
at the end of everything explicitly shows that all these commandments have to do with the heart. Because this 10th commandment has nothing to do with the outward at all. But the 10th commandment has everything to do with the inward, our inward thoughts, our desires, our yearnings and affections. It, it addresses ultimately what we are living for in this life. In a sense, the 10th commandment as the perfect capstone and bookend to all the commandments only serves to emphasize how we have been treating these Ten Commandments all along. They all, in the end, have to do with our heart attitudes toward God. Loving God and serving God. Really, with the Tenth Commandment, what you have is this. What you really have to do is this. You have to revisit every single one of the commandments that comes before it, and you have to ask the question, and now what about my heart? In my heart, am I committing adultery? In my heart, am I stealing? In my heart, am I dishonoring father and mother? Am I coveting? Am I desiring that which is not the will of my father in heaven? What we really have here in the 10th commandment then is the commandment that distinguishes the child of God from the unbeliever. Really, at the end, that's where it comes. The unbeliever, she cares nothing about God's laws. Oh, she might never steal. She might never kill. She might never lie. Outwardly, she might be just like that rich young ruler, keeping all the commandments from her youth up. She might see herself as a decent person. But when the unbeliever, just like that rich young ruler, comes face to face with this 10th commandment, and she sees that God also lays claim to her heart, and her desires, and her thoughts, and her longings, then she begins to show her true colors, and she rebels. She refuses to love the Lord from the heart. She refuses to do the Lord's pleasure. She refuses to seek after the Lord. She shows that she hates the Lord. Instead, she's pursuing after her own pleasures. She seeks herself, her own desires, and she covets in her heart that which is against God's will. The child of God, on the other hand, she comes to this 10th commandment and she says, Yes, Lord, this truly is what it is all about. It is all about the heart. And at the very center of her being, the child of God says this, My heart, my heart belongs to God. He made me his child through Jesus Christ and I love him and I love him with my whole heart. And the believer says this, I pray that within my heart, with my longings and all my desires, I may desire and long for and want and covet only that which is in harmony with God's will for me. Oh, I struggle with this. Every day I struggle with this and sometimes I do go off. But this, in the end, is my true endeavor, to worship and serve God with a perfect heart. That's where I find my joy. That's where I find my true delight. Doing the Lord's pleasure, worshiping the Lord with a thankful heart. And the unbeliever, the unbeliever, she simply doesn't understand it. It seems like a burden to her. It sounds like bondage. But the child of God who knows what grace is, 
who knows what deliverance from true bondage really means. She knows the truth. This is where joy is found. This is where true freedom is experienced in striving to serve and worship the Lord with a perfect heart. That's what we take as our theme this morning, worshiping God with a perfect heart. We look at that theme under three points. First, we look at the required perfection. Second, we look at two important considerations. And then third, we look at the helpful preaching. Remember, children, the Tenth Commandment says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So the requirement of this Tenth Commandment first is this, do not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's our starting point. And now even before we look at that requirement, we must understand what coveting is. Because we must understand that not all coveting is sinful. The word covet simply means to desire or to long for. And sometimes the Bible will encourage us to covet. Covet covet after good things. Right? Thy aid we covet most. In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 31, Paul writes, But covet earnestly the best gifts. That is, desire those gifts that will be a greater blessing to those around you. And the greatest gift we should covet, of course, is the gift of love, which the apostle goes on in the next chapter to speak of. That's the gift we should covet. Along the same line, here in Luke 12, verse 31, that we read, Jesus says, But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye, that is, covet, desire, long for the kingdom of God. Let the kingdom of God be what you breathe after. Well, here in this 10th commandment, the word covet then is referring to sinful desires. To covet something sinfully is to desire something that God has not been pleased to give to you and that which God evidently does not want us to have. Sinful coveting is coveting that which God has forbidden us from desiring and coveting that which God has made plain He is not pleased to give us. So in connection with my neighbor, I see my neighbor's house and how big and beautiful it is. And I say to myself, I wish God would give me this house. And I complain about my house. That is coveting. I see my neighbor's wife, and perhaps I think she's beautiful, or she has such a pleasant personality, and I say to myself, I wish God would give me her as my wife instead of the wife I married. That is coveting. I see my neighbor's car in the parking lot at school. I look at my neighbor's iPhone, or I look at the job he has, or his career, or his family, or his intellect, or his plans for spring break, and I say to myself, I wish God would give me those things. That is coveting. God has, given me these, God has given these things to my neighbor. He has not given them to me. And for me to long after these things, which God has not been pleased to give me, is to covet sinfully. And part of the sin is this, part of it is that this attitude shows a disposition of putting myself before my neighbor, right? This is the second table of the law. And this is a sin, not loving my neighbor, but, but dwelling on myself. 
In our society we live in, with everything we see in the magazines and in the flyers or on Facebook or TV, we must certainly be on guard against this pervasive sin. Beware of covetousness. But this commandment is much broader than just my relationship to my neighbor. The sin goes deeper. Because sinful coveting is not simply desiring that which my neighbor has or or coveting that which is on television. Sinful coveting involves all desiring and all longing for those things which are outside of God and which are apart from God. The point is, I can leave my neighbor completely out of the picture and still be guilty of coveting. When I seek earthly things and pursue earthly things, even good earthly things, apart from things that are spiritual, and not for the sake of things that are spiritual, I am sinfully coveting. When I seek first my own pleasure, my own fulfillment, my own kingdom, rather than the kingdom of God and His righteousness, I am coveting. When God gives me a clear commandment to follow right here, right now, in this moment of my life, an ordinary commandment, right? Simple commandment. But I have all these other things that I think I need to get done and I put them before God's will in the moment and I ignore God's commandment, I am guilty of coveting. That's coveting. Again, I am putting myself first, what I think I need, what I think is good and proper before what God commands of me. In the end, when I behave that way, I am really saying this. I wish God were different. I wish God looked more like me and that his decrees and his distribution of things were more in line with what I want and what I desire. And Colossians 3 verse 5 puts it very bluntly when Paul writes that all such, that whole attitude is idolatry covetousness, which is idolatry. It's putting myself before God. My calling, according to Luke 12, verse 31, is this, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God. The world, the world seeks after all these things, how to fulfill, how to fill their bellies, how to satisfy their carnal appetites, how to fulfill their own pursuits. But you, God says, You seek after heavenly riches. You seek after righteousness. And what I delight in, right here in your calling and station in life, in all of life, obey me. In all of life, long for spiritual riches. In all of life, seek my pleasure and not your own. That's what God says. And sinful coveting is saying, no, I want my will to be done. I want my happiness to be realized. I want my kingdom to come. In the end, I want my name to be hallowed. Really, to get at the heart of it, what this 10th commandment is really putting before us is this. Be perfectly content in God. And covetousness, the definition of covetousness is exactly this. Being discontent with God's will for me. That's exactly how question and answer 113 puts it. What doth the 10th commandment require of us? Notice in the answer, it doesn't even speak. It doesn't even use the word coveting. It doesn't even talk about the neighbor. It simply says this, that even the smallest inclination 
or thought contrary to any of God's commandments never arise in my hearts, in, my, in our hearts, but that at all times we hate all sin with our whole heart and delight in all righteousness. I am perfectly content with God's dealings with me, with God's way with me. And I am perfectly content with the commandments that God has given me to follow here in this station and calling He has given me. I hate sin with a passion. All sin. I hate my own sin with a holy anger. And I am resolved to keep myself separate from the sins of others. And I love righteousness. I delight in God's commandments. I see them as perfect and good in every way. They are my joy and my life. I serve God with a perfect heart so that in all my desires, in all my thoughts, I never think, imagine, or desire anything contrary to His will. Truly, He is my Lord. He's Lord of my body. He's Lord of my eyes. He's Lord of my mouth. He's Lord of my ears. He's Lord of my heart. He's Lord of my soul. He's Lord of my thoughts. He's Lord of my passions. He's Lord of all my desires. He governs it all. And then you see how this 10th commandment really summarizes everything that's gone before it. It is the perfect conclusion to the 10 commandments. Because the point is, whenever I even want to break any of the other commandments, whenever I even want to break any of the other commandments, I'm guilty of coveting. I'm wanting my own desires, my own longings to be fulfilled rather than God's. And God says to me, serve me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Serve me, God says, with a perfect heart. That's the 10th commandment. That's why the 10th commandment comes at the end. They're perfectly structured so that it begins perfectly, no other gods before me, and it ends perfectly. Do it from the heart. Well, with all this being said, we can ask ourselves a, a few personal And pointed questions. Questions that we need to ask ourselves in the light of this 10th commandment. Two questions I want to ask or put before us in particular. And as as we ask these questions and consider them, I want us to remember these questions and take them home with us. And to ask these questions in our families and throughout the week. To examine ourselves. Because this is the last time we're treating these 10 commandments. We're moving on next week. So so let's, let's take this with us. First, the question that we must ask ourselves in light of this 10th commandment is this. What do I want in life? Child of God, what do you want in life? What do I want in life? Look at all the spheres of your life. Look at your home. Look at your marriage. Look at your families. Look at your, whatever your relationships are. Look at your education, look at your work, look at your business, look at your hobbies, look at your Friday nights, look at your Saturday nights, look at your priorities, look at the church, look at it all and ask, what do I want in life? For example, spring break is coming up. The spring break is is a big deal to many. it's, It's something we look forward to. Let me ask you, 
What do you want as you look forward to spring break, some of you? Do I want a week to let loose and indulge myself in reckless or foolish behavior? A week where maybe I can drink to my heart's content at night because the next morning I get to sleep in and I won't have any responsibilities because I'm on vacation. And really, what is life? Life is about indulging myself when I get that chance, right? I have to work, 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 and now I get to indulge myself. That's, that's what I want in life. Or is this your first and really your only desire? That I get to use this time as a special and unique way to bring pleasure and delight to my God. Maybe using this time as family time to reconnect with my children or my spouse to maintain these relationships. Or maybe to enjoy God's creation and yes, enjoy rest and restoration and enjoy the weather. But I enjoy this opportunity that God has given to me. I don't covet it, but I enjoy the opportunity He has given me. An opportunity to bring Him joy and honor in this unique way. What do I want in life? Really, at the end of my week of spring break or whatever vacation I take, the reality that confronts me is this. What was the value of that spring break if the happiness I enjoyed on spring break was not a happiness that brought joy and pleasure to my Heavenly Father? What is it if it's not that? And then I'm humbled again by my covetousness. Because I wanted something for myself so bad. And I sacrificed what pleases God in order, order to fulfill my own purposes. This is covetousness. Which is idolatry. And this applies to every single area in our lives. What do I want in life? What do you want in life? That God receives the glory and that I be faithful in this calling. That throughout all my life, I know that my Lord and Master is looking upon me with approving eyes. And I can hear Him say to me, as He says it to me through Christ, only through Christ. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord and enjoy my smile. Isn't that what we all want as the children of God? Because this relationship with our Father in heaven is everything. To hear those words already now in the day-to-day -day struggles and trials of life. To know that my God is receiving glory even in these moments. How miserable life is when I choose to walk in sin. And I know it at the end. It's vanity and I feel that. And I know my relationship with God is not right. What do I want in life? This is what I want. This is what we want. Holiness. Sanctification, a closer walk with God, having my life be that thankful song of praise for the grace and the redemption He has so freely lavished upon me through His Son, Jesus Christ, my Savior. That's what I, as the child of God, want. To worship the Lord with a perfect heart. And beloved, when you have that sentiment, that is exactly God Himself writing, etching, this 10th commandment on the tablet of your heart. That's not so much you. That's God writing his law on your heart. The second question we must ask ourselves is this. And this is a related question. 
Am I hating sin with my whole heart? Or are there sins that I think are tolerable, pretty small and insignificant, and because of my situation, I allow them once or twice? Or put another way, am I delighting in all righteousness? That's what the catechism says is involved in this 10th commandment, that I hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. I hate sin. I hate all sin. I loathe it. And even when it means sacrificing my time, my physical strength, sacrificing the status quo, or my own earthly comforts and position, I do all I can to put sin far from me, and I stay away from it. I need to ask myself, what is my attitude to sin? Really? My neighbor's sin, yes, but my own sin first. The Tenth Commandment says that I never enjoy sin, that I never set my heart upon it, that I never desire sin or be attracted to it, and that I never seek after it. Even the desire to sin, that's an issue in the broader evangelical world right now. Even the desire to sin, not just the act, but the desire to sin, I must hate it and reject it and fight it. You know, you hear more and more these days this kind of thinking. Oh, so-and-so is walking in sin. But what are you going to do about it? So-and-so doesn't honor his parents like he should. So-and-so doesn't keep the Sabbath day like he should. But what are you going to do about it, you know? What are you going to do? You hate it. You grieve it. You hate it with the kind of holy hatred that Jesus has, that, that Jesus works in the hearts of his people, that burns with zeal for the commandments of God. And if that sounds extreme, then remember the example of Jesus. There he is in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil. Turn stones into bread, Jesus. You have the power to do it. What's the big deal? Nothing major. And remember, children, Jesus' response, it is written. It is written. It is written again. God demands perfect trust, perfect holiness. The scriptures, they are definitive. They are the guide. And then later on in Jesus' ministry, he comes into the temple twice in his ministry. He flips over the tables of the money changers. What holy hatred for sin. What zeal for God's glory. Because this is the reality of Jesus. Jesus kept this 10th commandment perfectly. He could not tolerate how they were using the temple as a marketplace. And then Christ is our example of worshiping God with a perfect heart. That's the required perfection. But now, having said all of that, we need to remember, this is important, we need to remember two considerations. That's what the Catechism goes on to emphasize in the next question and answer. On the one hand, we need to remember this, that while, yes, God requires all of this, this is what lives in our hearts, I do hate sin, I do love righteousness, I do love doing what is right, and with my life I do want to praise the Lord. Nevertheless, the reality is, I have but a small beginning of it. If you have seriously considered the questions that have just been given, and have you maybe in your own heart have seen your own failings and weaknesses, that is not to discourage you. 
Because the scriptures make plain, as the catechism makes plain, in this life, the child of God has only a small beginning of this new obedience. In question and answer 114, we read, but can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? No. But even the holiest men, while in this life, have only a small beginning of this, new, of this obedience. And that's something we must recognize. In this life, the child of God has only a small beginning. And if you think you have a small beginning, know this, even the holiest men have but a small beginning. We need to recognize that, and on the other hand, that at the same time, we need to recognize this, as the catechism goes on to say, yet so, with a sincere resolution, we begin to live, not only according to some, we don't just pick and choose, but the child of God begins to live according to all the commandments of God. We begin. There is a beginning. The idea is this. God has redeemed us by the blood of Jesus Christ. God has regenerated us by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And in that work, especially in that work of regeneration, making us alive, God has planted within us, as it were, a seed. That seed, that seed of regeneration, that seed of the new life of Christ. But in this life, we need to recognize that seed is only a seed. It's only a small beginning, a principle of new life. Oh, it is wonderful. A seed contains everything in it that will become a tree. It's all there in seed form. In our regeneration, we have all the blessings of salvation. In a beginning, perfect holiness and righteousness is there. And yes, we do bear fruit. The imagery kind of merges because we have a seed of the new obedience and yet that seed also bears fruit, the fruit of good works in this life. But in this earthly life, that life of the Christian remains only a beginning. But it is there. And that life of regeneration in us is nothing other than the life of Christ himself. And therefore, it must be perfect. You have that life of Christ in you, and that life of Christ cannot sin, because Jesus does not sin. That's the life of Christ in you. That new man in Christ, that new man then, which is Christ in you, which is in Christ, that new man which is living out of Christ, does not sin. So we have a small beginning of new obedience. And out of that new life, we bring fruit to God's glory. Nevertheless, the reality is also this. That new life of Christ that is in you dwells in a human nature that is still corrupted and defiled with sin. We still have that old man in, in us, the motions of sin in the flesh, that depravity that always cleaves to us, that's always inclining us to sin, and that touches everything we do. And the result is that even our best works, which we do, are polluted and defiled with sin. And they need to be washed and purified through Jesus Christ. I do have the life of regeneration in me. That's exactly what explains my resolution and my desire to honor God. Living out of Christ, I can do good works and I must do good works. I want to do good works. I am zealous for good works. And yet even those good works are only pleasing to God because Christ purifies them and they come before God after first passing through Jesus Christ, our mediator. Nevertheless, to say it again, 
I do have a small beginning of obedience. I am regenerated. I am alive. I can choose to do good. I have that freedom of the will in, in Christ to, to exercise the will in a right direction. I can begin to live according to some and according to all the commandments of God out of the new man in Christ, out of the power of the cross through faith. I have that power. And what that means then, first of all, is this. I don't make excuses for my sin. I do not make excuses. I have the new man in Christ. And Christ says, live out of the new man. I can't say, well, because of my weak sinful nature, it's okay for me now to to listen to this ungodly music. Or, Or it's okay that I act rudely and impatiently towards my spouse. God says quite plainly, be ye holy, for I am holy. In Ephesians 5 verse 3, the apostle writes, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, covetousness, let it not be once named among you, as becometh saints, as is fitting and suitable for holy ones. I may not tolerate sin, any sin, in my life. Oh, it's understandable when I do fall into sin. It's it's even not surprising. We can expect it. We have only a small beginning of obedience. But we may not tolerate it. We must daily sorrow over our sin, hate our sin, and flee from it, and turn unto Christ. That's daily conversion. Turning away from sin unto the path of holiness. So I don't make excuses for my sin. And then secondly, what it means is this. The Christian is one who lives his entire life as a struggle. A constant struggle between the new man in Christ and the old man of sin. The spirit against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. I am the new man. That's who I am. I belong to Christ. But I still have that old man. I'm I'm responsible for him. And when I commit sin, that's me committing that sin. And so there's this constant struggle within me where I must constantly be putting the old man to death, putting off the old man and making it alive and putting on the new man. And that struggle itself tells me that I am a child of God. If I'm not a child of God, then there's no enmity between me and Satan. If I don't hate sin, then I should be asking myself whether I am saved. If I'm tolerating sin in my life, then I should be asking myself whether I am saved. The child of God has sin in his life, but he doesn't tolerate it because he's at war with it. Because it's the new man in Christ, in him, that's at war with it. For me as a Christian, there is this enmity, there is this warfare, and that is the evidence, that is is evidence that Christ is at work in me, and I am the child of God. So those are two important considerations. We have only a small beginning, yet with sincere resolution, we do begin to live according to all the commandments of God. And then this is also where the preaching comes in. God has given us the preaching from week to week as a help, as a help in the battle against sin and for striving to keep God's commandments. And the preaching is never in vain. It does have its effect, whether to soften or to harden. In question 115, we read, Why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached, since no man in this life can keep them? 
We've heard the strict preaching of the law. We've had to conclude at the end of the sermon, Lord, we thank Thee that we don't have to find our righteousness in the keeping of the law. Because we've heard how strict it is, and we've seen that we can't of ourselves even begin to keep it. And that's what the answer emphasizes. Why will God have the commandment so strictly preached? Well, in the answer the catechism gives us, there's really four, four answers. Let me work through those. First, that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature. That's what the preaching does. It causes us to know our sinful nature. It reveals to me just how sinful I am. That's what the sermon this morning has done. By nature, we minimize our sin. But the law comes to us and shows us how great our sins are. And now what's the profit of that? Well, second, and thus become the more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ. Through the strict preaching of the law, we are driven to Jesus Christ to make sure that we find our righteous standing before God only in Him. We have no righteousness in ourselves. The law shows us that. And through the good preaching of the law, we are reminded each week again that we need to flee to Christ. And we need to stand on the perfect righteousness found in Jesus Christ. And that brings glory to God. That's part of the worship that we bring God. Fleeing to Christ, confessing it's all of God. Then third, the catechism states, likewise, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God. That is, through the strict preaching of the law, we are moved to be more and more conformed to the image of God. We learn to depend upon God and not ourselves for the power to live a Christian life. We have no strength in ourselves, but God gives us His strength, even through the preaching, that itself. The preaching moves us to to be conformed to the image of God more and more, and the preaching at the same time strengthens us as a means of grace, the chief means of grace, to strengthen us in that calling. God instructs us in the way we should go, He gives us direction, and He gives us the grace to walk in that way. And then fourth, till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. And the idea there is this. The strict preaching of the law works within us a deep longing and a yearning for the day of glory. Because that's the day we will get to put off this struggle. That's the day we will get to put off that sinful nature once and for all, and we will get to walk off the battlefield, put down the sword, and enter into that perfect rest of our Lord and Savior. That's that's the help that the strict preaching of the law affords us. Beloved congregation, may the Lord truly use and have used and continue to use the strict preaching of the law that we've heard in these last five months in these positive ways so that we might truly find our righteousness in Christ alone 
And we might see every time we hear the law, every Sunday morning, we have no righteousness in ourselves. And then at the same time, so that out of thankfulness for Christ, knowing we have Christ, we pursue God's glory in the way of heeding His will. And so that while we do this, we're always looking forward to that day when God will call us from the battlefield and to put down the sword and enter into His rest. And then we will hear the words of our Savior, only because of His grace, only because of what He Himself has done. But we will get to hear the words of our Savior. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou. Now. Really, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank thee for how we get to handle thy law in Jesus Christ and how thy law comes to us in Jesus Christ. Thy law is good and perfect. And we pray that thou wouldst write it upon our hearts, upon our hearts, so that in our inmost being we might covet thy will and delight in all righteousness and hate all sin with our whole being. Help us, Lord. We look forward to glory. Until then, continue to strengthen us in the battle. And we pray, use this preaching itself to shape our hearts and shape our lives. To thy name's glory and honor. In Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen.